0: Hello, curling fans, and welcome to the first ever episode of Way Inside, the brand new bonus content here on the Inside Curling feed. I am John Cullen. I will be your host. Today is a very exciting day, the very first episode, and for our first guest, we knew we had to get someone good, and we have a great team here at Sportsnet. We've got Alma, we've got Mike, we've got Kevin, we've got Warren, you got Jim, you've got me now. I thought, first episode, who better to start with than one of the greatest curling teammates of all time? It's Mark Kennedy. Now, what does it mean to be a good teammate in curling? A lot of people would ask that question. And I'll tell you this, as a lead, it meant carrying the brooms, booking the team flights, being okay with being verbally abused by the skip... But for different positions, for different people, it can mean many different things. It's not an exact science. You know, I think it just all comes down to the individual and what they feel that they can bring to the team. And it's clear that Mark Kennedy is one of the best teammates of all time. Everyone agrees that about this. I mean, he's been to the Olympics three different times in three different positions. 2010, he wins the gold medal as a second. 2018, he's there as a third. 2022 wins a bronze medal as an alternate. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the interview, but he is certainly one of the most impressive guys to ever do it. He's also won 15 Grand Slam titles. Yeah, 15, which to put that in context, if he was a golfer, he'd be tied with Tiger Woods at 15 Grand Slams. That's how good it has been over his career. And he's been doing it for so long. In fact, the very first time, mark won a medal in a national competition. He won the silver in the 1998 Canadian Junior Curling Championships. You know what the number one song was? Shares believe. Do you believe. I promise I won't sing very often on this podcast for reasons that are should be obvious to you now, but that's how long he's been doing it. That's how good he's been. He's won the briar multiple times. As we already said, he's been to the Olympics multiple times. This guy is just so impressive and now as a teammate he's on a new journey he's playing with team brendan botcher alongside of course skip brendan second brett gallant and lead ben heber it's a brand new journey for mark and we talk about that in this interview we get into being the alternate at the olympics about how the team jacobs thing came together and then fell apart at the end of last year and how he's enjoying his ride with Brendan Botcher so far and I hope you'll enjoy this ride it's our first ride here on Way Inside so let's get to it without any further ado here's Mark Kennedy multiple time Olympian and Olympic medalist multiple time Brier champion multiple everything Uh, The current third for Team Botcher, Mark Kennedy is here. Hi, Mark.
1: Hey, Johnny. Thanks for having me, bud. First guest. I'm honoured, really. Thank you.
0: Oh, well, I mean, it's uh, a thrill to have you. And I got to say, before we get started, when I have something big coming up the following day, I tend to dream about it. So this was like, you know, first episode of the show, I had a dream last night that you and I were supposed to do this interview.
1: Careful with this being your very first episode talking about dreaming about me, but keep going.
0: Don't worry. It's not that kind of dream. I have had that kind of dream about you before, (laughs) but this was not that. And you didn't show up to the podcast recording. And I was really mad that you didn't show up. And then I saw you at an event and I was like, hey man, what happened with that podcast recording? And you're like, I lost your phone number. And I was like, really? And then we were looking in your phone, and we found out that you had renamed me in your phone, which is why you couldn't find my contact info to Dove Johnson. <laughs> Dove. I don't know what that means. Oh, what a dream. But I do want to kind of change my name to Dove Johnson. I, that's funny.
1: I, do I have to call you Mr. Johnson? Did this just become the Way the way Offside podcast?
0: It sounds more like a late night call in. <laughs>
1: You're here with Doug Johnson. I showed up, so we're already ahead of the game. We're good.
0: And I th- and I hope you still have me in your phone as John Cullen. <laughs> I'm going to change it
1: after this, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Doug Johnson. We're doing things different here at Way Inside. We are starting the show with a lightning round. This is called the Top Four. I'm going to give you four questions. You just answer them quickly, whatever first pops into your head. All right, here we go. Number one, which curler have you never played with before that you want to? Uh, Wayne Madah. If all the rocks are exactly the same, so you know that all the rocks are good, there's no problem with any of the rocks, what color do you pick? Uh, Red. What's something that's considered a basic thing in curling that you struggled to learn? Line calling. How would your bitterest rival describe you? Egotistical and arrogant and mean. Mean. I don't think I've ever heard anyone call you mean. Well, you're just not hanging out with my bitterest rivals, then, are you? (laughs) Yeah, Dove is going to have to give your bitter rivals a call and see what they really got to say.
1: There's a few out there. There's no (laughs) question.
0: Well, okay, let's get into that because I think this is actually a perfect segue. So I want to run through sort of your last year of curling because it's been kind of insane. And I yeah. think a lot of people, you know, you haven't done a ton of interviews about it and I'm sort of curious, but let's go back. Speaking of bitter rivals, let's, let's go back to the Olympics. Uh, You okay. got selected to be the fifth for team Guju. And I know over the years, it has seemed to me at least as an outside observer that Brad is maybe someone who is a bitter rival of yours. You know, you've played him in a lot of big games you know, Brad is obviously a fierce competitor. So are you. How did that come together as far as, you know, how did you get asked to play in the Olympics? And then also, first of all, was it an immediate yes? And second of all, did you have to have a sort of conversation about this sort of competitive nature that the two of you have had over the years?
1: Good questions. Um, After the Olympic trials, which I think was, I got a memory on my Facebook yesterday that we lost the Olympic trials a year ago yesterday. So uh, almost exactly a year ago, Brad had called and asked. Sorry to twist that knife. No, that's okay. It's good. It was actually lots of great memories. It was a great week and, you know, happy that the team that did win won because they were probably the best team over the last quad. So, um, you know, I've been curling against Brad and Mark since 1998, I think was the first time I ever played against them. So we've had a long history of playing against each other, big wins and big losses. Yeah, I received a call from Brad a couple of weeks after the Olympics you know, completely surprised and honored. So we had a good talk. He he kind of took me through their selection process for a fifth. What my role would be going there, you know, as a, as a support player, no expectation to play unless somebody was um, either down and out with COVID or sick or injured. I just told him I needed a little bit of time to especially to talk to Nicole because it was going to be Not only the time at the Olympics, but also the the lead up, which was going to be in isolation for a few weeks in Abbotsford. So really, six weeks away from the family over the winter, which is a lot. So you know, I needed to have a chat with Nicole, and we did. And uh, you know, she was fully supportive of me being there for the the Gushu boys. So uh, so I called Brad back, and I I said I would be completely honored. And um, we had a bit of a chat about our history together. I think there's always been a mutual respect. But there's always been a, I really want to beat that guy because I respect him so much and because he's so damn good. And I think that's gone both ways. And and sometimes does that cross the line into bitter on the ice because you want to beat him so bad? Sure. But I think this was a good opportunity. And I still remember the phone call really well. That was just a, hey, you know, I, I I really do admire you and respect you and appreciate the battles we've had over the years. And I have no problem you know, coming over to your side of the fence and being your biggest and best teammate and support for six weeks. He was great. And and I've said all the way along, those guys treated me fantastic. I gave them my best. I tried to do the best I could for them over that six weeks, but man, they treated me like gold. They, they let me right into the inner circle, right from day one. We had a great time in Abbotsford, you know, lots of fun time in practice, but also off the ice, getting to know one another. And Beijing was just a real treat to be a part of what they were going through, the ups and the downs. I was extremely impressed with their preparation, their level of play, their teamwork, everything was just awesome. So, you know, are we back now to being like bitter rivals and wanting to be the number one team in Canada? Sure. You know, we we don't we don't talk a lot, but uh, I think we all have a lot of really good memories of that time. And I have nothing but fantastic things to say about everybody that was a part of that Beijing team.
0: You guys talk about the hip thing?
1: I wasn't sure if you were going to go there or not. <laughs> we did.
0: You know, that was a thing. And I'm not trying to put any blame on you. It just sort of felt like you and him would have had to kind of sort that out a little bit.
1: Listen, I'm I'm more than happy to to talk about it. I called him after. So after he had asked me, I called him back. And I said, Brad, there is something we do need to talk about, you know, in regards to what happened at the Briar in 2017. I said to him straight up, I'm sorry. I said, I should have called you and apologized five years ago it was a mistake on my part and I I learned a lot about it and a lot about myself in that moment. So I truly apologize. And he was great. I think his comment was, if, uh, if I held a grudge against everybody that made fun of me, I wouldn't have any friends.
0: (laughs) Is that true for all of us really? But
1: I appreciated the lightheartedness. Uh, you know, he, he'd obviously let it go, but I'm glad we had our moment to talk about it. And, I remember even back when it happened, it was actually my wife that was saying, you you need to call him and you need to apologize. I should have called and and apologized way back when because I I never really did. I never did lose respect for you as a curler or a player. He's always treated me really well. So so we got that out of the way. And then I also said, you know, this is probably something you're going to have to deal with with all of your fans because they have a huge fan base and a lot of them really didn't like me after that he said you know what we probably won't have to deal with it but if we do we'll be prepared to do so so we actually had a face he had a facebook live where he announced me as a player as their fifth and he started to get a lot of questions about that right away and i remember he just put an end to it he said i see a lot of questions here about what happened on the video in 2017." We're past that. We moved on. Mark and I have talked about it. So let's just nip that in the bud right now. Um, he's a part of this team until um, after the Olympics. So, you know, he handled it absolutely first class. I'm, I'm really happy we had the opportunity to discuss it and get closer in our experience in Beijing. And like I said, nothing but the best to say about him and that whole team and the way they treated me. And um, we definitely moved on from the hip situation.
0: Karma's a bitch, Johnny. Hey, how's my hip doing these days, right? Uh... Your own hip issue happened sort of right after that. Yeah. Last one about playing with that team. Now, after they won the bronze medal, Brad and, and the team gave you a lot of credit and and talked about how you had, you know, sort of talked about your experience in 2018, losing the bronze medal game with Kevin Cooey. And, you know, they sort of said you were the kind of one who really, put it in focus for them saying, you know, you'll, you'll regret this if you don't win and all that kind of thing. And I was just curious, how does that discussion start? Was that led by you? Was that you kind of saying, Hey, you know, this is how I feel about it. I really think you guys should put it all on the line for Canada or however it came about, or was it a sort of them asking you about being in the bronze medal game? Like what did that sort of conversation look like?
1: It happened pretty organically. I think um, from my perspective, throughout the week or however long we're there, two weeks, you know, it was a grind for them. It's a struggle. And and I've been in that situation, lots of pressure on your shoulders and, you know, seeing the ebbs and flows of the week. And they came out in that semifinal, you know, and, and played their hearts out against Nicholas came right down to the last rock. Brad's playing a run back crosshouse double for the win and, and, you know, misses it by a millimeter or it's maybe the best shot of all time. Uh, So they were pretty dejected coming off the ice. I remember everyone kind of in the locker room, pretty disappointed, pretty sad, you know, just kind of uh, wrapping their heads around what had just happened and the emotions that go with it. And I remember sitting there, you know, in the corner trying to kind of stay out of the way as you do. And it's an interesting thing as a fifth because you want to do as much as you can. You want to help. You know, you can't throw the rocks, but what else can I do in and around to give you guys the best chance to win? And and sometimes as a fifth, less is more. Sometimes being out of the way, letting the team do their thing is um, is the best approach. And in this case, I just was sitting in the corner and I was pretty dejected, too. And I think I even had a moment where I'm like, man, maybe this is what you're here for. This is, I think this is what you're here for because four years ago when we had lost the semifinal to John Schuster, I don't think we really recovered as quickly as we needed to because things at the Olympics happen very fast. That's one thing at the Briar, if you lose the one-two game on the Friday night, you know, you might not play the semi until the following night. So you almost got that 24 hours to get, Mentally prepared well, here, here it's lose the semi, you know the biggest game of your life. you're off the ice at ten p m and the bronze medal game starts at nine a m It's a really quick turnaround, and I remember in in Korea that turnaround was too quick for us, and we came out in that bronze medal game against a de Cruz team that really wanted to win, and we were still dejected from the night before, uh and it showed up in my performance, especially. I remember how excited De Cruz was to win that game and thinking to myself, oh whoops I didn't prepare enough for this game for how important it was to come home with some hardware you know even bronze so back to that locker room knowing how quick the turnaround was I just you know and from the heart I said you know I think Canada's proud of what you guys just did out there I know I am you know you left it all out there I said whatever you got to do to turn this around in the next 12 hours because that game tomorrow morning is the next biggest game of your life and if you win that bronze medal tomorrow, it's gonna to feel like gold. To come home with something after this whole experience is very important. People aren't gonna care what color it is. So whatever you gotta do in the next 12 hours to get yourself ready, get yourself ready. And then I remember getting a little emotional because I said, look, my biggest regret in my curling career is that I didn't play better in that bronze medal game. And I came home with a fourth place certificate. For everything that Team Cooey had been through, and and that's what we got. It it still sucked. So get yourselves ready and get out there and go win that game. And, you know, credit to them. They listened. They were engaged. They knew that what I was saying, I had troubles even saying it. So they knew it was important. They they went back. They grabbed a bite to eat. I remember there was practice, I think, at, uh, you know, the game might have been at 10 a.m. And there was a practice sheet available at 8 a.m to match rocks and get out there and loosen up and uh Brad and Mark were up in the morning had breakfast I think we were up at 6 30 or 7 they ate they came to the rink with me we threw some shots matched rocks just really got in that you know the rhythm of this is a really big game Brad himself played unbelievably well close game and they didn't show any hangover from the night before you know when they won I think you could see it on their face that it felt like gold for all of them to come home with hardware, so that's kind of how it all played out, John. I was I was happy that I could be a part of it. I was happy I could pass along that message, and I think in the big scheme of things, you know, I'm a big believer of things happen for a reason. I, I think that's why I was there, and uh, you know, really happy that those guys were able to come home with something because um, they'll remember that for the rest of their lives.
0: Well, and it's got to feel good for you, too. Like you said, when you know going in, the thing is, you're probably not going to play or the, the you know, the intention is that you're going there not to play. I'm sure it feels good for you, too, to feel like I did contribute and in, in, it was maybe in this kind of small way, but I do feel like I was a part of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it does feel good to to contribute because as as a fifth, sometimes that's it's hard to feel like you were a part of it. you know, you don't want any accolades for it. You're there for those guys. If you're going there for any other reason other than for them, you're not the right guy for the job. But to be able to contribute a little bit without having thrown any rocks to help win, it felt good, and I was as happy for them as I would have been if I was out on the ice myself. So, lots of great memories and and uh, but man. What a grind. What a grind that is to to try to medal at the Olympics
0: these days. Crazy. No, totally. Um okay, let's switch gears a little bit to Team Jacobs. Now, I know that uh, you know, sometimes in the final year of a quad, you sort of know we're done. Was that the case with Team Jacobs because I I sort of feel like, you know, I knew you guys a little bit. My wife did your social media and, you know, I was involved in in some stuff with your team and Um, I certainly didn't have the sense that Brad was going to be taking a year off or whatever. Was that something that you knew? Was that something you knew going into last year that maybe by the end of the season, it was not going to happen for the next quad? Like how did that shake out?
1: Uh, some of it's a little bit muddy because there was so much going on towards the end of the year. But one thing I remember Brad being very adamant about with our team was not wanting to have those discussions until after the briar. So even though we had lost the trials final, I think, you know, we still, as a team, we really wanted to win the Briar, and feeling that a lot of if those conversations were going to happen, what's your plan next year? That it would become a distraction to you know a really big goal for us, which was to go out there and uh, win in Lethbridge. So we didn't really have the conversations. We didn't really know until after the Briar, and and had the conversations with Brad, and you know he had kind of talked about. Potentially taking a year off and stepping away for a while. And honestly, as the year went on, I think I kind of had a feeling as a group, you know, especially those three being family members and having played together for so long, that they may be looking for a refresh, a restart, kind of going in separate directions amicably, potentially something like that. But I didn't really know until after the briar what the plan was. And then after that, all hell kind of broke loose because there was a lot of discussions that were already happening and there was phone calls that had already been made. And, you know, things happened pretty quickly after that, but from a team Jacob's perspective and I I liked Brad's approach, I think it was a a good way. And and we had a good briar. We just ran into a hot flash team, but we're closer to winning than it looked like we were with how well we were playing. Yeah. So that's kind of how things played out.
0: Were you surprised? So you said maybe you weren't surprised that the team went in different directions. Were you surprised to see Brad take a step back?
1: Uh, a little bit. I mean, just cause he's so damn good. Yeah. You know, he's so good. Um, but having been through that myself, sometimes that grind of an Olympic trials run, especially as a skip can be exhausting. And, you know, Brad's doing really well outside with his own business and a young family and he's building a home And I think for him, the idea of, man, if I could have a year off and build my house, work on my business, spend time with my kids, and still be a pretty hot commodity on the
0: curling market. And mix doubles, you know. And
1: and play some mixed doubles. He's doing great with Kerry, and it kind of keeps him in the competitive mix. And you know and maybe see where things play out after a year maybe teams are looking for a new player and he's refreshed and ready to go and so maybe that was his thinking uh and if it was I, I wouldn't be surprised and it's actually a a good way to do it and you know if a if a brad jacobs comes off the bench and he's refreshed and excited and motivated man look out i've been texting him and saying i hope you stay on the bench forever but
0: I texted him and and asked him if he wanted to put a team in the Northern Ontario playdowns, but he didn't respond to me for some reason, which I thought was weird. But um, He probably has Dove Johnson in the phone, so he doesn't quite know who it is. John Cullen was maybe not the best lead, but we've never seen what Dove Johnson could do, so uh, this could be a big moment for him. I want to get into this year in a minute, but... Uh, I want to take a quick break for a segment we're calling Dirty Laundry. This is where uh, I do some background research on you, some sort of sneaky research and ask you a question. Now, normally, I'm not going to reveal my sources, but I will say in this case, the source was your wife, Nicole. And she fully was just like, honestly, Mark is like the squeaky clean guy that you all think he is. I don't really there's like really nothing. So, I mean, that's impressive, I would say impressive that you're, you know, your wife, I was giving her a chance to bury you six feet under the ground. And she didn't. Oh, good girl. She did tell me one thing that I was interested in. And, uh, she said that you, uh, took a curling class in university and got a B minus. Yeah. So first of all, tell me how the hell do you take curling in university? Number one. And number two, how does Mark Kennedy get a B minus in university curling? Number one, easy credits you should definitely take it. How is that even a class?
1: Yeah, it was a thing. It was taught by an old uh, Northern Alberta Curling Association uh, official by the name of Russ Purdy. I think Rob Kreps actually ended up kind of taking over that course as time went on and did much more with it. But Russ was a great old coach. And I remember that I missed a
0: lot of classes because <laughs> I was on the road curling. Like, oh, sorry, I was in the Canadian Junior Championship final. I don't know what you want. Exactly. From <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So that hurt the grade. The other part was 30% of the grade, believe it or not, was on a draw to the rings. No. So you had to go out there and you had, and for anyone that knows me, knows I can't draw worth crap anyway. So, especially not there, then. Especially not then. So you're out there on Balmoral Curling Club ice at 9 a.m. I think we were on the end sheet, and you get one practice shot and then the real draw, which is 30% of your grade. And I had people around me in the class, like, you know, knee sliders in sweatpants that were, throwing it on the button or top four, or getting a plus And here I was, I think I threw my first one halfway, my practice one. And then I threw my second one top 12, which
0: is like a C plus. That's a C plus. Yeah. So that wow. was
1: 30% of my grade. And
0: then John, believe it
1: or not, it's like, it's like guys that take golf in school. If you got an exam on the rules of golf, you, you'd fail it. You may, you maybe know a quarter of the rules in golf. Well, it's not a lot different in curling. You know, if you get a whole list of rules from the rule book of curling, I actually don't know what's right and what's not. So I remember not studying, of course, thinking I know everything and getting this, uh, a, this exam on the rules of curling. But in our world, it's like, well, I don't, it doesn't matter because the officials will just come out and make the determination for us. So I don't need to know the rules. But yeah, questions like substitution rules, I I had no idea. That's how Mark Kennedy gets a C plus in curling at university. So... There, you just aired my dirtiest of laundry.
0: (laughs) That's apparently your dirtiest laundry, I guess. Yeah. It's so funny that already the idea of taking a curling class in university is a joke. And then 30% of your entire grade is drawing the rings.
1: And then guess what happened the year after that? Guess who they asked to teach it? You. I did. I taught that course for uh, three years after that. Oh, yeah. So there is... Professor. Professor Mark. Professor Mark. There are people all over Alberta now that slide and throw like me. (laughs) unfortunately i had them learning how to throw with their broom on the ice and if they wanted to roll up on their toe a little they could i think that's why crepsy took over the course because he saw how terrible i was doing this is a technical nightmare yeah
0: sorry you're naturally right-handed that's not going to work for me i can only teach people to throw left sorry i need you in (laughs) that hack please yeah Speaking of Rob Krebs and the U of A program, your skip now obviously uh, came through there. So obviously you said last season you kind of hadn't really necessarily thought that things were going to be done with Brad or you didn't know until after the briar. Things move quickly. At what point does Brendan Botcher enter your radar as someone that you want to play with? I'm not saying you're tampering or even talking to him or anything, but just in your own mind. I think we all have that as curlers. You play against someone and you think, oh, maybe down the road I could see myself playing with them one day or whatever. When did you have that moment with with Brendan?
1: So this is one of the first teams maybe ever that was built from the front end. So this came about mostly from Ben and Brett you know, when I had kind of gotten the phone call from Benny about this potential team, you know, he had said, look, Brett's coming out to Alberta. I'm gonna play with Brett, and we're trying to put together the best back end we can. And that includes you and Brendan. And I just remember thinking there's not a lot of front enders out there that can build a team, but if you could pick two, those guys would be on your list. So a very exciting opportunity to be able to play with Ben again and and somebody of Brett's caliber. So and then yeah, of course, the fourth name was Brendan, who's kind of been around me for the past eight years, practicing at the Savile, you know, always on a different team, but you know, always having good conversations, always being very friendly with one another. I've always appreciated and and enjoyed Brendan and, you know, the opportunity to be their fifth at the worlds in the bubble. You know, I got to know Brendan a lot more at that point. So it's always been in the back of my mind that he'd be a, a guy that I'd love to have the opportunity to play with, add to the fact that he's in Alberta. I think was, was important for me. Part of this was I, I wanted to finish my career in the province where things got started, where I was born and raised and just love this province and wanted to be back here. And if you were going to pick a skip in Alberta to play with, you know, he'd be top of that list. Having played with Kevin Martin and Kevin Cooey and having the opportunity to play with two of maybe the best skips Alberta's ever seen and, and seeing Brendan, who's only 30 years old, and just coming into his prime, it just was a wonderful opportunity for myself and have loved it so far.
0: Finish your career. Are you you announcing on this podcast? This is your last No, I've done
1: that once before (laughs) people. I said, I'm taking a break and people thought it was a retirement. So we're not going down that road. We're getting a little long in the tooth here. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would love to be a part of Brendan's prime years, which I think as a skip, you know, once you get over 30 and you really start understanding the game and, he already understands the game, but I, I really do believe that these will be his best four or eight years. So if I'm a part of at least four of them, I consider myself pretty lucky. But yeah, he's a special player, special talent, and comes from an incredible program at the U of A and plays the game the right way. And But, you know, the one thing that stands out for me the most over the past few months is he's, he's, just a, he's a great teammate. He's a really good teammate. He's always pretty calm and positive, and he doesn't throw anyone under the bus, and he's just got all those good qualities of somebody you want to go to war with. So been pretty happy with our relationship up to this point.
0: Well, and that's interesting because that is exactly the next question that I have written down, you know, because I think this has been a weird 12 months for Brendan. I don't think uh, I'm telling tales out of school by saying that. And so I was curious to tell the people listening to the show a little bit more about Brendan because I, you know, I interviewed Brendan for Stone and Straw back in the day, you know, as he was kind of beginning his ascent. And I have always sort of felt like he's been a bit of a misunderstood guy for whatever reason. You know, he's always been nothing but good to me. He's a very respectful guy, as you said, very nice guy. I, I feel like some of what's happening or has happened to him in the last year or so has been pretty unfair to him but besides that tell me a little bit about brendan and the fans that you know are maybe sort of saying this is a an interesting sort of team here mark and ben and brett these guys i really like and now they're with brendan and i don't know how to feel about brendan like tell me a little bit more about brendan the guy because i agree with you i I think he's kind of just been a little bit misunderstood in this whole thing
1: you nailed it uh brendan is brendan's a, a good friend of mine Brendan is is sneaky funny. He's got a great sense of humor, but he's he's thoughtful, he's honest, he's he's a genius, he's witty, he's a great guy to be around. But to your point, I think he's been a little bit guarded when it comes to the media. I think he's been quite careful on how much he exposes of himself to everyone around, including the curling fans. But what people don't realize is through that whole process with his previous team, Brendan took the high road. Brendan could have started slinging mud and throwing people under the bus and talking about Darren and taking a pretty big kick in the nuts there for a while. And he still took the high road. And, and I think that should tell you all you need to know about Brendan. And even to this day he has not said one negative word about what went down or what happened or what led to that whole decision, you know, cause there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people are never going to know. And that's fine. And he still took the high road. So, for myself and Ben and Brett and Paul Webster, and I'd like to think we're pretty good judges of character. And we've surrounded ourselves with pretty good people throughout our careers. I think that's been one of our strengths. Uh, and I think the fact that we all, you know, trust Brendan and wanted to be around Brendan and wanted to build something special tells you all you need to know about the character of person that he is and and what we all felt about that situation that he had gone through there wasn't one point in time where we questioned huh you know is is, is brendan who we think he is yeah brendan is who we think he is and uh, unfortunately got stuck in a bad situation with with somebody that we uh just won't talk about right now but um you know (laughs) he's he's been great to me and my family and uh you know we've got to know that's the other part you know behind the scenes too is his wife bobby and and their kids and their family situation and his work situation you know spartan controls being one of our title sponsors we've got to meet his work colleagues and what you're getting is a, is a wonderful person who wants to win and dedicate and commit, but at the same time, be a good person and a good teammate. So he's first class and uh, feel pretty honored to be out there on the ice any chance I get.
0: Last question about this team. I, I You know, it seems... Some people have sort of said, oh, maybe not the start you wanted so far. I mean, I don't, you're like number four in the world and, you know, you're, you won Okotoks and you've been in the playoffs and in and around the mix. So, you know, I think that's a little bit overblown, but, but let's talk about the team coming into the season and to now, what was the, what was the main thing that your team wanted to focus on coming into the year? What was the main thing that you sort of felt like this is what we're going to have to do, especially early on to be successful. And how well do you think you've accomplished that goal so far?
1: I think the main focus for this year was to build a team. So, you know, building what the foundation would look like going forward when it comes to getting together for practice, how we want to throw the rock, what our communication is like on the ice, all those things that um, don't come together instantly. You know, sometimes they do. Uh, but sometimes they don't and they need some work and effort. And so I think our focus was to to build those things and also, John, to see what we got. You know, let's let's play a season. Let's see what we got on the ice. Uh, let's see the areas that we need to work on. And honestly, I think we were trying to not focus too much on the results this year, as difficult as that is to do. And I think that's the thing for a couple of us that we found difficult is even though the results aren't there, the foundation that we're building is more important, but you still want that instant gratification and you want to start winning right away. You want to hold that big check. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, and we won Okotoks, which I think started to make us think that we could win every week and maybe became a little bit of the expectation for a couple of us, but the quality of teams out there, the Gushu's, the Dunstones, the Cooey's, the Carruthers, you're not going to win every week, and even that next level of teams that we've played this year, the, you
0: know, the Sturmes,
1: the uh, Kyler Clyburn, is like these guys are playing us really tough.
0: I don't know what it is about playing you guys so far this year, but he just just been magic against you guys.
1: Oh man, he's just, and honestly, we're getting that a lot. So you know, we've had to taper our expectations a bit, and remember that we put this team together all four of us in alberta so that we can get together and put the hard work in and let the hard work and and the results take care of themselves we're still working on that you know we got together in calgary a couple days ago we're getting together again in red deer tomorrow you know we're still focusing on and, and paul webster has been great for that too put in the work let's work on the areas that we're struggling on and things will start to happen for us and and even if that means a year of you know, some struggles, some ups and downs, not the results you wanted. If if we keep the focus on the foundational stuff, we will be okay. So that's kind of where we're at. We, we've definitely had some ups and some downs and lost some tough games. And But I think all in all, John, we're pretty happy with the team that we built. And I think I see some pretty uh, good success down the
0: road here. Great. Well, let's, uh, let's finish off this episode with uh, a segment I am calling Very Difficult Own Career Trivia. Uh, So we're going to delve into the recesses of your brain. These are all things that you have been a part of in your life, Mark. And we'll see how well you remember your own career. Okay, so there's going to be five possible points here. There's three questions, but one of the questions has three answers. So we'll see how well you do. Uh, So question number one, which I think you'll get right, because this is a big occasion. But we'll see. At your first Briar in 2007, who was your first game against? Oh, Dean Joneese. That's right. Dean Jones, my old skip. British Columbia, your old skip. We were up two with
1: playing the ninth end and we gave up a steal at two. That's right. And I think it might've been the only steal at two we gave up the whole season. <laughs> so now we were tied. And this was my first Briar TV game. I remember that. And we were tied up playing 10 and uh, Kevin had to make a nice little hack waiter to win. So very memorable game.
0: Do you remember the score? Uh, seven six maybe six five close oh, close. close very close. So close yeah you're right there okay I, I figured you'd get that one so you're you got one point on the board it's not a zero so that's a good sign ching question number two at the 2010 Olympics which game of the tournament did you play France uh
1: number eight games I know Norway was our first game Germany was our second starts to get a little muddy in the <laughs> middle there I'm gonna say uh four.
0: France was your fourth game. Very impressive. Very impressive. Pure
1: fluke. <laughs> hey,
0: what happened to France?
1: Well, listen, there's some countries coming up that are getting pretty competitive. So if you don't have a pipeline of athletes coming through, you're going to be forgotten. You're
0: screwed. France, you're gone. Do you remember the score? This is not a question, but do you remember the score of the France game?
1: No, nope, but I'm going to take a wild guess and say it was uh,
0: 9-4. Oh, uh, you did more damage than that. 12-5. 12-5. Okay. okay. And uh, a young a young Dove Johnson was in the audience watching that game as well. So. Were you? How many games did you get to? Three. Okay, and I saw that one. I saw you play Sweden, maybe, and I saw the gold. And I was at the gold medal game. I hate that. Uh, I shouldn't hate. I'm sad that it's so long ago because there's so many
1: great memories. You just really hope that they don't fade as time goes on. If that makes any sense is it was just uh Yeah, no, it makes sense. Unbelievable two weeks. Oh, I'm glad you got to be there. That was a very cool atmosphere. I'm not sure if we'll ever get that again.
0: It was a magical feeling in the air that day and uh, for for even a fan. So, you know, I can only imagine what it was like to play in it. Yeah. Um, OK, last question. This has three possible answers. OK. In the calendar year of 2007, you won five slams, which, first of all, that's absurd. How did that even happen? That's, that's the, that's the question. How did that happen? How did you win five slams in a
1: year? They were going through some slam schedule changes.
0: Yes. There was like, there was slams where the two, the, it's like the national March, the national December, the Canadian. Yeah. It was very
1: strange. Yeah, we won five in a calendar year. Okay. Keep going. Cause I don't want to mess up the question. Keep going.
0: Yeah, So you won five slams in a calendar year of 2007 against three different skips. Name the three skips that you beat in 2007 to win those five titles. Okay. Glenn Howard. Wrong. Glenn Howard. Wrong. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, (laughs) so Randy, Randy Furby. Yep. Brent Pierce. Nope. One of the skips you beat three times, you beat Furby once, and then you're missing another guy. Is it Stoughton? Nope. No, it's, uh, is it Cooey? Cooey, yeah. Blake McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. Cooey, Carter, Nolan. Coughey, Carter,
1: no, okay, and then the other one I think I remember in Port Hawkesbury was it was it Brent McDonald? No, nope. well, oh, I've pretty much named every skip that there is to name.
0: Sean Adams. Oh, in Quebec, Quebec City. Sean Adams was the was the third one. So you got three out of five. Darn was it. your was your total on your own career? Not
1: bad. Here's where I was going to go with that, though. This is a this is a, another career thing. You ready for this? Please, ready. We won five slams in a year. None of them were the masters
0: and I've never won the masters. You've never won the masters. You don't have the career grand slam.
1: I have, I think 15 grand slams and I've never won the masters, even though I won five in a, in a year.
0: There's one, I'm trying to remember who it is. Cause I know this from doing my research for broadcasting, but there's one skip and I want to say maybe it's Epping. Someone has only won four slams, but they've won the Grand Slam. Oh. Like they've won each of their four wins yeah. is the different Slam. Interesting. I can't remember who it is, but I'll I'll get back to I'll get back to the fans on the next episode about that one. But I know there is one skip out there where they've only won four, and the four they've won is the four they need for the career. So that's the way to do it. You know, you got to win. You got to win the the Masters. That's that's all there is to it. I keep trying, but the tough part is, Johnny, it gets a little harder to win these slams all the time. In 2007, it seems like it was maybe a little bit of an easier road. Uh, Mark, thank you so much uh, for being here. The first guest on Way Inside. Uh, give you a chance here to to plug your sponsors. You've plugged one of them already, but uh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, thanks, Johnny. Thanks for having me on. We can't do what we do if it isn't for our amazing sponsors, so I'll try to remember them all here. Obviously, been there, dump that. Um, UFA, ATB, uh, Spartan Controls, Points Bet, Aztec Safety, Hardline Curling, Hearing Loss Clinic, Um, Runback, and Caltech Surveys. Can't forget Benny Heaves' company there. Thanks for the partnership as well. Awesome.
0: Thanks, pal. Mark would also like to thank Driving Force.
1: Yeah, we've we've got incredible partners and uh we're gonna spend some time with some of them at the Oakville Slam here in a couple weeks and Yeah, just incredible partnerships that allow us to do what we do to try to keep up with all these other Canadian teams. And uh, we're just very, very grateful for all the partnerships I've had over the years that have allowed me to curl. So thanks for having me on, John. Thanks for the opportunity to plug some sponsors and tell some stories. And uh, good luck with your new Way Offside podcast, bud.
0: So that's a wrap on the interview with Mark Kennedy, and we're going to do something a little different here on Way Inside. We're going to finish off every show, not by hearing from our guest or hearing from me, but we're going to hear from a bunch of curlers across the curling world with our question of the week. And so this week we posed the question to seven different curlers, if you had the option to put a logo on the front of your jacket. So you didn't have to have a sponsor on the front. Like Nicholas Sedin, they have that big Viking head on the front of their jacket. If you had the option of putting a logo on the front of your jacket, what would it be? First, we're going to hear from Matt Dunstone and BJ Newfeld, who I don't want to spoil too much, but let's just say I think they play a lot of video games on tour. Oh, and Matt's video game character from his uh, PGA Tour golf. Yeah, oh, yeah. He's got this guy that has this massive hat. Yeah. It's called Matty Fairways. Matty Fairways, and it's it's absolutely hilarious. And he's wearing like aviators. He's got hair down here. He's four foot eleven. Yeah. <laughs> and he just hits bombs. So
1: probably Matty Fairways. I could send in a picture for you of what he looks like to yeah. give you a little bit of a
0: visual. But <laughs> Matty <Maddie> Fairways. <laughs> absolutely. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. So there you go. I would love personally to see Maddie fairways on a jacket. I just want to see what Maddie fairways looks like. Maybe Matt and BJ can send us a picture or something. I love, you know, the idea. I like that. They also emphasize that Maddie fairways was short as though Matt Dunstone is not short. I mean, I think it, it kind of fits right, so uh, I would love to see that personally. Next, uh, we're gonna hear from a Swiss duo, uh, Yannick Schwaller and Benoit Schwartz. Who let's just say I don't know if they necessarily understood the assignment.
1: My name is Benoit Schwartz. If I could choose, I would like to keep it clean, yeah, just no logos, no characters.
0: My name is uh, Yannick Schwaller, and uh, if I could choose, I would uh, wish the Swiss flag on it. That means that uh, we're the national team and would have uh, qualified for uh, the Worlds in Ottawa. Really, Benoit, really? The question was, if you put a logo on the front, what would the logo be? And you just said nothing. Benoit, my guy, you're killing me. Someone who didn't kill me, though, from Team Horgan. This is Colin Hodgson, who, um, well, he took it to a bit of an extreme. Colin Hodgson and Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark, and the Funky Bunch is the logo that we need. (laughs) like the whole funky bunch too yes yes we need we need to be pumping cinder blocks with rebar and we need to have our good vibrations going on so colin actually told me after that that is what his softball team he showed me the mock-up of his softball team they are called the funky bunch they have mark Wahlberg's face on the sleeve of their jersey it looks incredible i personally would love to see that happen in curling i think we all would. Who wouldn't want to see more of Mark Wahlberg's face and also just muscles in a tank top lifting cinder blocks? We'd all love it. All right. Finally, uh, from Team Rana, we're going to hear from Isabella Rana herself and Almida DeVal. I like, I, I like where they went here. I think at first they maybe weren't too sure, but I like both their choices. Uh, so, my name is
1: Almida. Um, I'd probably choose, like, a lion because they're very powerful. Hmm. Um, My name is Isabella, and I would probably choose... um, Oh, God, this
0: is hard. Uh, A bear. They're cute. (laughs) If it were me, the logo I'd put on the front, I've always been partial... To Steve O's tattoo of his own face on his back. I think I would just put a giant picture of my own face on the front of my curling jacket, especially if I was the skip. Thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of Way Inside. Hope you have a wonderful holiday season. We are going to be back here every two weeks on the Inside Curling feed. So we'll be back with you uh, just after Christmas, just before New Year's, with a brand new curler, a brand new question of the week. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, if you're going to be inside, Be way inside.